to Slow and Steady, a podcast where you get to follow along as we figure out how to build and run a SaaS. I'm Benedict, and Brian is out this week camping. Nonetheless, we'll give you an honest peek into our lives as we work on our products and keep the lights on by getting some outside help. Today is June 16th, and this is episode number 45. Today's episode is brought to you by File Inbox. Ever tried to get a file from someone totally technically illiterate? It sucks. But with File Inbox, just send them a link and your files will show up exactly where you need them. My guest today is Ed Freifogel. Ed is one of the founders of the Open Cage Geocoder and the host of the Geomob podcast. You might also recognize him from occasional appearances on the Bootstrap FM podcast, as well as from the stage of MicroConf Europe, where he gave a talk a couple years ago. Originally, he was supposed to speak at FemtoConf, but as we had to cancel it this year, we thought it would be fun to have him on as guest. Hey, Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Long time listener. First time First time first time, yeah, first time guest, so great to be yeah, here. Yeah, very nice of you to, to join um, and help out. Um, as I said, uh, Brian is out on uh, on a camping trip, um, so I figured it would be time to get some more guests on the show, and uh, thanks for volunteering. Um, well, I was, I was, you know, I was due to speak at FemtoConf in May, and then obviously that got canceled, so um, it's great that we still get a chance to catch up, and, and maybe we can talk through some of the things that we were going to talk about at FemtoConf, so... Yeah, absolutely. What was your talk going to be at FemtoConf? Can you give us like the... Yeah, sure. So um, <laughs> my talk was going to be about, you know, it, it, it came about because of this, because I went to where I last saw you was at MicroConf in, uh, in Croatia in the autumn, I think in October. And I was sitting there in the audience and, you know, there were lots of good talks over the course of the two, three days. Um, but some of the talks I found were very kind of theoretical. Which of course you can still kind of learn a lot from them, but but they're more like inspirational or um, and what I find is um, that stuff is great, but what I'm looking for is much more practical, pragmatic tips, like actual uh, uh, pragmatic actions that I can take in my business. Mm -hmm. um, so I was reflecting on that. I was like, oh, why weren't there more talks like that? Uh, and then I realized, well, you know, instead of just complaining about that, I could actually try to do it. And so I started kind of keeping a list of kind of practical, pragmatic tips that, that we use in our business. And my idea was that I was going to present 50, 50 tips and tricks that, that we think help us in our business. So that was the idea. Anyway, yeah, so it was a real shame that uh, FemtoConf wasn't going to take place. So I thought um, maybe I could come on the show and take people through some of the aspects of my talk. Uh, unfortunately, one one bit of bad news is you canceled FemtoConf in March, and it was going to be held in May. So at that point, I kind of took my foot off the gas in terms of creating the talk and getting it all polished. And yeah. So, um, so I don't quite have 50 tips. Um, but nevertheless, I have about 25 or so, and uh, that's perfect because then we can talk those through. And if it goes well, we can we can have another competition where I if I keep collecting some tips. So absolutely, um, that that would be fun. So, so do you want to jump? Well, right well, into the, well, first thing I was going to say is that like anytime you come across a list like this of tips, and um, it's always a little bit the case that. Uh, some won't maybe won't apply to your business or your type of business or the stage that your business is in, and some of them will mm -hmm. be some of them will be super obvious, um, and you'll be like, "Oh my god, Ed, you're a moron! This is so obvious." Um, but hopefully, at least a few of the others, you're going to be like, "Oh my god, Ed, that is genius! I'm a moron for not doing that." So, 
so basically the conclusion is we're all kind of morons and uh, learning as we go. <laughs> so um, That's so bear all that in mind. Um, okay, cool. Right. So um, I guess to give a little bit of background about myself, so um, myself and a partner, we've been running a SaaS business now for about five years. Um, and, and so these are some of the things we've picked up along the way. Um, so, you know, um, that, that's where all of these are ideas that we actually implement ourselves. So it's, it's not just theoretical. I kind of broke them into a couple. My idea was in my talk. I was going to have a couple different um, categories or types of things. So maybe the first thing, first category I'll talk about is billing. Um, mm -hmm. So good. And this is one that kind of, um, frankly, it frustrates me a lot because often a lot of SaaS companies in the U.S. they're like, okay, billing. I'll just use Stripe and I'm done. And in my opinion, that that's kind of a mistake, and they they miss some opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. um, so the first thing first thing that we discovered is that for a lot of our customers, many of our customers are B two B, and for a lot of them, they're not really that as I mean, of course, they want a good price, but they're not super price sensitive. They're super stress sensitive, in the sense mm. that like if you make it stressful for that guy to process the invoice or process the payment or figure out how to pay or whatever, he'll go to your competitor, even if the competitor is twice as expensive. So you need to make, yeah. make it clear to him, it's going to be simple for him to do the payment. And, and with that, I mean things like dealing with VAT, like are you VAT registered? Um, and, and literally on our website, we actually literally have a sample invoice of what, what the customer's mm. invoice will look like. So that then the customer can say, okay, this, this company knows how to deal with companies like mine and this invoice will work and it's a valid VAT invoice and I'm not going to have stress about this. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a big problem. Like, like for me, with many of the services that we use, once a month I'll get like the Stripe invoice and it's a huge pain. In, in some ways, because they don't have our VAT ID. And, you know, then I have stress with my accountant trying to like, get this process correctly. And it really leaves a bad taste in my mouth about this service, even if the service itself is ex excellent. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so it's a really, I think it's a really easy way to either delight your customers or piss your customers off that yeah. I think many, yeah. many SaaS founders don't think about at all. Um, yeah. And, and let me I give you a much, or go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. I'd probably add, to have like even having PDF invoices um, and actually mailing those invoices as attachments are probably also good practices because oh God, like, what I what I really hate is um, when I do taxes and stuff like accounting once a month I basically have to collect all the invoices. The, the nice experience is just to go into my email inbox, search for the provider name, and just like drag the attachment into the folder. But some don't send those invoices, so um, I end up logging into their website, going to the billing section, and then probably in some cases even printing like printing the page just to get or like exporting it as a PDF. Yeah. Well, yeah, exporting it as a PDF, and that's uh, as you yeah. said, like that just like makes it more complicated. And it, and it always annoys you, man. It's ten minutes of your life you'll never get back, right? And, and yeah, exactly. And, you know, so it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth about that service. Um, but so let me, even if they are mailing the PDF, the, this is a huge pet peeve of mine. When they send as the, they send me an invoice once a month and it's named invoice.pdf or one, two, three, four, you know, one, two, three, four, five.pdf. So the next thing mm -hmm. I have to do is download it, rename it to a meaningful name and then get it to my accountant. And it's so tedious and so stupid. And instead yeah. they could just name their invoice 
like, you know, name of the company, uh, an eight-digit date, like, you know, four-digit year, two-digit month, two-digit day, dot PDF, you know. Yeah. Or, and, and if they need to have some unique identifier or something, fine, they can have that also. But, like, put yep. the name of the company and the, and the date in the invoice, in the file name. I mean, yeah, that makes it so much easier to work with the invoices. This is not rocket science. Um, uh, the next idea, no, my next tip was going to be that um, you should be your own customer. And by that, I don't mean like a, a theoretical, like, oh, you should build something that you yourself would want to use. I mean, like, literally be your own customer. Like, go to your website, put your credit card into the purchase form, make sure and bill yourself every month. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and behind the scenes, you can set it so you're billed very little or whatever. But like, literally, you are charged every month, and then you yourself get mailed your own invoice, and mm -hmm. get, that way you truly experience what your customers are doing. And I think not enough people do this. And I, so I started doing this a couple months ago, and immediately I found things that could be improved in terms of the wording, in terms of the look and feel of the invoice, all these kinds of things. Um, yeah. So it's something I definitely recommend. Uh, and that kind of leads me to my next my next point, which is that your invoice can also be kind of a marketing channel. Um, and you should make sure, I mean, what I mean is you should make sure it looks good, your logo looks good on it. Um, you know, in the in the footer on our invoice, we put things like uh, links to our blog and Twitter and, um, uh, you know, not we're not making it gaudy or whatever. And it, it, the core information is the focus of the invoice. But we also know that this is something people are going to look at and use it as a way to judge our company. So it takes five minutes to like make it look good. Mm. So do you, do you also use it like to promote stuff on the invoice? No, we don't promote things, but well, we, what we do is we, I mean, of course it has all the details of our company and the, the, the RBAT number and all that, but it, it promotes things like, um, some professional organizations that we're a part of and things like that as a way to add credibility about our company. Mm -hmm. um, what, what we don't, it's not, it's not just like a, a super generic template that just has like, you know, Ed charges you 20 euro or something, you know, it, it, yeah. we, we make it look good and professional. Um, nice. Um, so then related to that, one of the first things I did after I started billing myself is I sent myself a refund also to see how that experience works. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if your customers, how often you have to process refunds or anything, but you know, as you, as you grow a number of customers, there will be times you have to do this. So it's good to understand that experience. And, um, and that way now, whenever I do it, I'm able to explain to the customer exactly what's going to happen. And um, I mean, I don't do that. I have a template now where I have all that in there, but um, I'm able to understand that process. So um Uh, my next next tip was one that I've actually spoken about at MicroConf a couple years ago. Um, it's uh, that you should price in multiple currencies. Um, I don't know. Do you guys do this at your business? Um, not right now. No, we just uh, stick to US dollars for now. But why not, man? Um, just probably because like most of our customers are from the US right now, and uh, the overhead. But don't you unless think you unless you unless you tell me otherwise now. But is uh, it chicken or egg? Right. I mean, is it is it chicken and egg? I mean, like, if if you, of course, most of your customers are from the U.S. because you've designed your website and your service to say we only want U.S. customers by pricing only in, in dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
might be the case or uh, like from initial research it looked like most of our like target audience would be in the u.s but um yeah i mean that might just be our like uh prejudices and uh just like oh the bubble we're in yeah. um i don't know until now, to be honest, I, i didn't really consider switching switching it up um, because i feel like we have so many other things on our plate <laughs> oh well that's just it it's not difficult though it's it's not hard it's i mean it's just you know you how do you do it price. well you just create a new new price in in stripe and actually stripe just kind of changed their structure to make it even easier um mm -hmm. but, you know stripe handles all that they just um like we had, so so the customer goes to the site We look at his IP address to determine which country he's in. Then, based on that, we set the price to the to the default for that country. I mean, we don't do hundreds of currencies. We just do like you know five or six. Um, so, mm -hmm. like you in Germany, if you went to our website, you would see the prices in euro. And then, mm -hmm. when you purchase, your card is billed in euro. Then you um, you know Stripe handles that. Stripe mm -hmm. then converts it into our currency and and pays us. That's all. Mm. Um, okay. But the issue is you you as a customer, I mean, it, it, we have many, many customers who comment about that and say that they, you know, and they always choose the currency, their native currency. Um, so, you know, if you're not charging the customer in their currency, you're basically adding to the bill, right? Because then they have to pay a currency conversion fee. So you're making your service more expensive. Mm -hmm. so yeah, you, makes it, sense. How, how do you determine, hard. how do you determine the prices? Like, um Do you charge like the same, like basically just change the unit? Or, yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, it's roughly the equivalent value. So in our cheapest plan in US dollars is $50. And for that, we charge 45 euro. Mm -hmm. Okay. Obviously, you know, the, the currency rates, the exchange rates fluctuate very slightly, but, you know, some go up, some go down. So we just kind of keep it constant at that. Like, I don't worry at all about, you know, am I getting the optimal price? It's more about, am I getting a new customer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. it makes sense. But uh, you still allow people to choose the currency, right? Yeah, they can choose, although it defaults to the currency of their country. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I, I remember. You, yeah, many people from, let's say, smaller countries, they all they often comment on this. Like, like you know, like, um, I mean, you live in Germany, right? So Swiss people obviously are used to paying for things in Euro, but they mm -hmm. love it if they can pay in Swiss francs. Sure, yeah. So... And, and again, it's not hard. Or, or like Canadian dollars is another example. Almost all of mm -hmm. our Canadian customers comment on the fact that we don't make them pay in U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. like it's just a very simple way to make make the customer happy. So, I don't want to belabor that because I've I've talked about that at length at Microconf. So, um, but um, another another key point is um, I think once you get past any sort of volume. You should basically not trying to be doing, not try to be doing these uh, invoicing and things like that yourself. We use a mm -hmm. service called Quaderno, um, also for the correct calculation of VAT rates and things like that. Um, and they're excellent. It's very good. It's a little bit of effort to get it set up, but then it's great. And and it's just really, it's I never worry about it. Um, I, I think I'm sure they have competitors as well that that um, are likewise also good. But um, this is something like. It's, it continually baffles me that Stripe hasn't figured out how to do European VAT invoices. Um, mm. it, it's just not correct. So, um, 
Yeah, so what I would recommend to everyone is that you you use once you get any kind of meaningful volume, you should switch to using a, a service like that. Also, in terms of the accounting, it's much simpler. Um, yeah, yeah, so. they do like like exports of like all the VAT. Yeah, uh, so so the way it works is at the end of the month. Um, so on the first day of the new month, I just do um, an export of all of our sales, you know, CSV file and sales and refunds, and then I just give that to our accountant and it's done. This mm -hmm. file. It's, it's yeah. super simple. Um, right. So, so another key tip is that you should definitely let your customers um, set up two email addresses for your service. One for actually using the service and, and I guess the product or whatever, but one also for all billing related matters. Because at least in our case, many of our customers are software developers and, and they interact with the technical aspects of our service, but the, you know, they don't really want to have anything to do with the, the billing and things like that. So um, you can save everyone a lot of stress by making sure the correct email goes to the correct party. And otherwise mm -hmm. you, um, otherwise you're always, we, we were for, for the first couple of years, we would always get support requests where people are like, you know, Bob in accounting needs the invoice from six months ago. Please can you send it to him or whatever? So yeah, yeah. it's just kind of a That reminds me, I recently came across a cool feature. Um, I think it was on, on AppSignal's um, sign-up process. And um, usually during the sign-up process, you have to enter a credit card. Mm -hmm. And they also had a, um, a button in there where you could get a link to an unprotected page with just the, the um, credit card form. So you could send it to someone in your company and just ask them to, to enter the credit card details in there without ever you, like, without you ever having a card in your hands and doing it on that form during the sign-up process. Oh, right, gotcha. Yeah, that, that I mean... That, that, feels, that feel, felt pretty smart. <laughs> that does feel pretty smart. Um, th that's not a bad idea, although we don't ask for a credit card up front. But, um, but yeah, sometimes there is that, that problem, the dichotomy between the user of the service and the person who pays for the service. Um, all right, I got two more kind of billing related tips. Um, the other next tip I have um, is if you're using Stripe, as I assume many people are, um, mm -hmm. one one of my biggest pet peeves with Stripe is that their fees are not really transparent. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, they are transparent if you go to their site, you can look at the fees, but the fees, those are the fees that apply on like day one. But as soon as you get any kind of significant volume, they'll give you a discount. If you if you ask for it, or not, if you don't ask for it, so it's kind of annoying. But basically, you have to ask Stripe. Continue, you know, if your revenue is growing, you should keep asking them for discounts. Um, mm, yeah. So, um, and I think how easy is that process? Well, it's pretty easy that you just send an email. Obviously, <laughs> then you, gotta, <laughs> you know, then you got to wait for an answer or whatever. And sometimes they might say yes, and sometimes they might say no. But the cost of sending the email is pretty low. Mm. Um, But, I, you know, it's really, it's one of my biggest peeves with the service is that they should be transparent about what kind of discounts you can get as you go up in volume rather mm. than, you know, because it, it, like on the one hand, it's, if you email them and they give you the discount, you're like, great, I got a discount. On the other hand, you're yeah. like, well, this is super annoying. Why didn't I ask three months ago or whatever? You know? Yeah. So Do you have a, a gut feeling where the threshold is in terms of like MRR or something like that? I don't know. If you go over 10,000, I would ask if you go over, I kind of like, it probably varies from country to country or currency to currency, mm. I guess. And um, I, I think it varies a lot based on the nature of your customers. Like if you have a lot mm -hmm. of chargebacks and, and um, 
how people are paying you, like how expensive yeah. that is, you know? Yeah. So, so maybe that's why they don't do it because it's not completely clear, but obviously they have mm. some kind of procedure for figuring out whether you should get a discount or not. And um, anyway, if you do have any meaningful volume, you should ask for a discount. So good tip. Um, um, uh, and then the next point is this is actually kind of a cool feature of Stripe that I only recently discovered actually, you know, so Stripe will send these emails for you with the invoices or whatever on your behalf or the, like the payment field or whatever you can, it, it, it's kind of buried deep in the settings, but you can configure that so that those emails are coming from your domain, mm-hmm. um, which um, I think is probably a good thing to do um, in terms of like, you know, it gives the customer more of the impression that they're interacting with you rather than with Stripe. So yeah, um, it's pretty, it's very trivial to set up. It, it takes, um, you have to put creative various DNS entries, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it takes like 10 minutes. So, so okay. probably something you should do. Um, are you using that or are you just like, yeah, we use that. Although we don't, sell, we don't, we don't send, we don't have Stripe send emails, the invoices on our behalf because we use this other mm-hmm. service. I don't know, but we do use them for things like if a payment fails, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, okay. the password yeah. will get an email and things like that. So makes sense. Um, yeah, so that kind of that's kind of it for the round of billing tips. Um, I don't know, you got any any billing uh, invoicing kind of tips, Benedict? I'm always keen to learn new things, new tips and tricks. Um, well, you had a lot of good tips, so I don't have anything major to add. Um, did you recently check out Stripe's uh, PDF invoices? Um, no, I haven't. I haven't, actually. Maybe I probably should. Um, I'm not saying that they are as good as Quaderno's, but at least like for us for, with UserList, they are at least good enough, so we decided to just use them directly. Sure. Um but yeah, I mean, we're US company, so VAT is not really a concern for us right now. Uh, so I didn't really evaluate the, the invoices on that uh, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, one of the good things about Quaderno is we increasingly have customers who don't, they don't want to pay via um, credit card, especially mm-hmm. bigger customers, they, they want to pay by bank transfer. And so yeah. we need to send them an invoice kind of outside of the Stripe ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess maybe, yeah. maybe you could do that with Stripe regardless, but we have more and more customers who are just paying by bank transfer, mm. um, which, yeah, makes sense. which also has its own difficulties. Um, but <laughs> on the, what, the good thing about it is, is it's very cheap. We don't have mm. there's no transaction fee. Yeah. So, do you do that for every customer or is it like only for like annual contracts or something like yeah, that? Yeah, only for annual, only above a certain value. So, Either mm, yeah. an annual contract or a, a very large monthly contract. It's a pain. I mean, usually these are big companies. Um, yeah. And it can be a real pain to get it set up. Um, I mean, usually these are companies where, like, you know, the accounting departments, you got to get a purchase order number and stuff like that. And um, so it can take a while. But then once you do get it set up, it's, it usually runs smoothly. So, um, so it can be worth it. Because I mean, there's yeah. no, like an example like that. If someone's paying you a thousand dollars a month, or let's say a thousand euro a month, you know, the the Stripe fee on that would be like twenty mm-hmm. euro. I mean, there's no reason to pay Stripe twenty euro every month for that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that adds up. So cool. So um, that's all your billing related tips. Yeah, that's Do all the billing related. Tips. Uh, I have. Um, 
Some of the other groups that I have are um, one marketing tip that we found, and, and maybe this is only applicable to us because our our customer uh, group is software developers. But um, one marketing channel that I think people often overlook is um, GitHub. And I don't mean advertising on GitHub or anything. I'm not even sure that's possible, but and readme files on GitHub. Mm-hmm. So we, we have many different projects on GitHub of different um, projects that either related to our software or open source projects that we run or contribute to. And having a well-designed readme file that explains who you are, what you do, has links to your service and things like that can be a great channel of ongoing traffic. Um, mm. It's not particularly difficult. And so now we just have a template kind of that we put into every every one of our projects and um, it works It works well. That's a cool idea. I might steal that. <laughs> well, again, most of these ideas are not for me. I've just stolen them or aggregated them from other places. So if you do a search on, you know, do a search for like a good readme file, you'll, you'll find many, mm-hmm. many sites that will give you lots of very good tips on how to, how to customize your readme file to make it attractive. Cool. Um, Moving on to some product tips, maybe this is this is again. So some of these are tips, and some are just rants about my own experience using <laughs> the product. So, um, uh, so our service, for example, is only in English, but um, very often I, I live in Spain in Barcelona, and very often when I go to different sites, they try to force me into using Spanish, and mm. it's super annoying. It's really, yeah. really annoying. And it immediately gives me a bad um, opinion of the product because like my browser is not, I have my browser in English and my computer's in English. Like I don't want to, Yeah, you know, it, it, the only thing Location that I have mean is language. Right? Exactly, exactly. So I really recommend anyone out there who's doing this, you should stop. <laughs> what you should do <laughs> is, um, well, and because and one of the reasons I make this point is, you know, I, I live in Barcelona where many, many people, their language is Catalan, not Spanish. And mm-hmm. it's kind of almost, you know, it's a source of quite a bit of tension. So um, it can really be a negative to set someone's language the wrong way. Um, yeah. So what you should definitely do is... Uh, you know, first of all, if the user is registered and with your service and told them which language they prefer, you should always use that. Um, but secondly, if you uh, if they haven't registered, if they're just a visitor to your site, you should obey their browser on the yeah. assumption that they've configured their browser with the, with the language they want, whatever language that is. Um, and only as an absolute last-ditch default would I base anything on location. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a good tip. Um, Okay, another kind of product tip or um, on the feedback side of things. Um, so feedback is, is quite important, or let's say customer support is a kind of important issue for us because we're quite a small team and we have a, a fair number of users. And so it's, um, you know, if, we, if, we, if we're not careful about it, it can really get out of hand. And so we, um, one very, very small subtle tip on your feedback form or whatever method you give people to get in touch with you, just clearly state then like what times you work and how long it's going to take for you to get back to them. Yeah. Like, um, you know, like on our feedback form, our team is based here in Europe and we just say, look, we're based in Europe. We work on European hours. So, you know, if you're in Australia, then the guy knows, all right, I'm not going to get an answer quickly. 
I'm going to, you know, it might take eight hours or 12 hours or whatever. And then he's calm, but there's nothing worse than someone who's like irate because they're not getting an answer or um, has the expectation they're going to get an answer very quickly. And then they don't. And so then the, the you know, it can quickly spiral out of control. So mm-hmm. very, very small, simple, easy thing to do, but many people I see don't do it. Um, yeah. Um, Good tip. So another tip, again, as a small team, we, we, um, one of the biggest problems you can have is kind of decision fatigue, right? Cause every day you're having to decide all these different things about every aspect of your business. And so we, one tip that, that we, um, one policy that we follow is to try to define policies for things so that we don't need to decide them again and again. So mm-hmm. a good example is um, we often get asked, um, we're quite active in the OpenStreetMap community or in various software communities. And often we get emails from people asking us, will we sponsor a conference? Okay. And, you know, instead of what you don't want to do is then every single time be like, well, this is kind of a good cause or, oh, you know, this is a friendly person and maybe I should sponsor it, but how much should I sponsor it or whatever? Like we just have a blanket policy. Like if a member of the team is attending the conference, then, you know, if it's affordable, we will sponsor. If not, Mm -hmm. no, that's it. And like, I never need to, because I, I get emails from people, I guess, once you've sponsored a few conferences, people are like, oh, this company sponsors, so let me hit them up. And yeah. it's a nightmare, because then we continually get, it, it, very often from very worthy causes, and I'm sure they're great conferences or whatever that I would love to attend. But if we're not going to be able to attend, let me just say, look, sorry, we're not attending. We don't sponsor conferences. We're not attending. Mm. Sorry. But that's just an example of one of the one of the kind of like policies we try to set so that we never mm. have to waste time making a decision. We just because um, I think and not have to make the same decision, uh, similar type of decision over and over again. Exactly, exactly. And you know, as a very small team, maybe maybe it's similar for you guys, but you know, it's so easy to get burned out by having to constantly like decide everything. And yeah it really weighs on you at the end of the day, you're just fried and you're like, I didn't really do anything today, but it's because you were having to decide constantly. Yeah, that's true. What we also found is that like just having a a set of core values or yeah, core values also helps a lot with decision-making. For example, when something just doesn't align with one of your values, it's easy to say no to it and have a good excuse. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, all right. So some other tips that we have more about general, like kind of ways to work. Um, I try to be quite, this works for me. I don't know if it works for everyone, but I try to be quite consistent in having a schedule in terms of, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, as a, as a founder or as a member of a very small team, it's so easy to get caught up in the highs and lows of your business of like, when it's going well, you're super enthusiastic and then you want to work like, you know, you're like, oh, you know, let's launch this, let's do that. And when it's going badly, you're like, oh my God, this is never going to work. Like, why am I wasting my time on this? But you, you've got to try to even those highs and lows out and just be consistent, I think. I, I really think that's critical for mental health. So, you know, I try to have a schedule, work a certain number of hours a week and, and you know, then let the let the let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, so. that's a good tip as well. Yeah, that helps for me as well. Like, I, I try to stick to a schedule too. Uh, just like have some sort of regular working hours, and also explicitly try not to work outside of them. Unless, I mean, if there's an emergency, sure. But I usually try to 
end the day at a certain time and then stop thinking about work just to get some rest <laughs> very difficult to stop thinking <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but at least but even if you are thinking about it you don't have to sit at the keyboard so um, yeah it's, it's good to to not do that yeah that's true like the, the 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 thinking part is hard to stop but at least like at least not executing on every idea you have um makes it easier to get in a different mindset and just relax a little bit yeah um all right another another habit that we have um or, or let's say policy that we have that i think is really paid off for us is you have all these tasks that are kind of important but not urgent right where you know you need to do them and but there's kind of a pain and so it's so like a good example is like upgrading all your software right like mm-hmm. on your servers or whatever or like reviewing the security of everything. Obviously, it's a very important thing, but it's always like, oh, you know, I get launched this other thing or whatever. Or, um, yeah. you know, as a founder, like reviewing your costs. How often should you review your costs of your how your business is? Or like backups. How often should I back everything up? Um, so again, you it's very easy to like either delay all these things or, you know, do them on a very uh, ad hoc schedule, which means you probably overlook them sometimes or whatever. So what we do is we very systematically set aside days each month or depending on the topic, once a quarter, we have a day. So we'll have like backup day and we just put it in the calendar, you know, once a quarter where we review our backups, are the backups working? Are we able to restore from a backup? And we have a very, um, you know, a documented list of these are the things we do on backup day. And mm-hmm. as a result, then I know, okay, I can have confidence our backups work um, or upgrading day, you know? So we mm-hmm. have a day where we just go through all, and again, we have a list because now we've done it many times, many, many quarters. Yeah. Um, but we have a list of on upgrade day, the first thing we do is upgrade, you know, these packages, then we upgrade these servers, then we do this and that. And we try to be quite systematic about um, all these kinds of tasks that are, they're very important, but they're really not glamorous. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but they're yeah. really easy also to neglect because of that. They're easy to neglect or you're like, oh, I'm too busy yeah. rolling out this new feature or whatever. Um, yeah. But the problem is I am a huge believer in SaaS of um, maybe you've heard this, this um, expression, right? The, that the, the long game is the shortcut. And I really think it's true. Like there's no, you can't force things to go faster. So the yeah. best thing you can do is, build good habits and and be diligent and don't let yourself burn out. And then, you know, the machine will build its own momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. mean, of course, you still need to like go out and get your customers and things like that. But but what you yeah. can't do is, you know, you flailing wildly is going to make it happen. So yeah. Um, related to that, uh, or actually the, the schedules and the notes, um, what do you use to keep like all your your lists and documentation and internal internal notes and knowledge text files text files files. yeah we just use text files i mean in our team everyone's an engineer and we just edit Mm -hmm. text files that we have in git i mean i i I don't really think which tool you use that is is at all important the the main thing is that you have a one system you know there's another great expression is um one bad way is better than two good ways Mm-hmm. You know, a, a huge believer in that. So, you know, yeah. obviously text files have, have a lot of negatives to them, but it, it works and we stick to it. And and it's not that I'm dogmatic about it. If someone in the team were like, oh my God, we, we should definitely switch to Notion. 
fine, we can have a discussion. And then if we decide we all switch to Notion or whatever, or Google Docs or whatever, yeah. then we do it. But what we don't do is like some stuff in one system, some mm-hmm. stuff in another system, some, you know, that's not going to work. Yeah, that's true. Like um, having one one central location for all your all your notes and stuff. That's that's really important. That's yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fully agree. Um, yeah, and obviously you need to adapt it to your team. So like in our team, everyone's a software engineer, so text files are very easy. Obviously, if yeah. if, if if that's not how your team works, then you should use a different tool. But um, so what else we got? Here? Another tool that um, I don't want to too blatantly. Um, proselytize for one specific tool but the calendly i love calendly i Mm -hmm. i I think it's crazy that not everyone is using calendly (laughs) like um so uh my life has improved a lot since i started using calendly even though i do my best to try to avoid meetings and things like that and i actually have quite few but for things like you know scheduling when you're going to meet up with someone or or have a call with someone it just saves so much time and energy yeah, um, highly recommend it. Um, what other what other tips do I have here? Um, oh, related to our note, our, our uh, point about where to keep your notes and things, I highly recommend um, from the day you start your company that you kind of keep a clean data room. Um, mm-hmm. And again, the data room can just be like folders on Dropbox or whatever. But like it really pays to keep your shit organized. Like don't have your accounting in your Gmail inbox with 2000 other emails along with like some stuff's on Dropbox and some stuff like have a a coherent structure where you put your things. Mm -hmm. I've met many founders who don't do this or they're more like, Oh, just I'll get to it when I get to it. And, uh, or, you know, once a quarter, they try to organize their stuff. And I, I just think it's such a haphazard approach. Maybe that's more of a personality thing. But um, this is really the kind of thing where, like, if you if you set it up correctly at the beginning, it's it's easy. And if you try to have to implement it afterwards, it's so painful. So painful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that goes hand in hand with, like, your uh, accounting day, security day, backup day. If you just, like, do this on a regular basis and keep everything in one location and just like be strict about it. It's so much easier than having to figure it out for an entire year or whatever after the fact. So exactly. it's exactly. a lot easier to do it in small increments than it is to do it in one big daunting <laughs> research project of where are all our invoices? <laughs> well, and then another thing on a related note, I guess this depends which stage you're on, but sometimes I come across people who are, they're just starting and they're like, oh, this is just kind of a side project. And they they mix the accounting and the the money of the side project with their personal accounting. That's a very mm. bad idea. Very, very bad idea. But I know <laughs> it's tempting because you're like, oh, well, who knows if this project is going to work out or whatever. Yeah. As soon as it's at all viable, you should separate your finances from the project finances. And yeah. You, otherwise, yeah. you're just begging for problems. Um, That's true. Um, and a similar one on, on that note is, um, I guess, again, I'm going to recommend a service here, is um, Bear Metrics. And I know they have several competitors. I know Chart Mogul, Mogul some people use. And um, what's the other one? ProfitWell. Yeah. ProfitWell, yeah. And I, I, you know, I think they all have their pros and cons and, and unique yeah. features or whatever. But really, I would recommend anytime, anyone, once your business gets over a certain critical mass of, I don't know what that would be, but... 
you know, maybe it's a thousand dollars MR, five thousand dollars MR, you should definitely be using a service like that rather than wasting any time trying to calculate <laughs> stuff like this on your own. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. I tried at the beginning, you know, with like the clunky Excel spreadsheet, and then it just doesn't. It's it's just a terrible, terrible use of your time when you could just instead use use one of these services and save yourself so many hours, and and you're less likely to make a mistake. So yeah. Yeah, that's true. Especially once things get more complicated with people being on a lot of different plans, maybe having discounts and like exactly at some point exactly. it's just un unmanageable to do this in the spreadsheet on your own from month to month. Right. Yeah. I mean you have people paying on different schedules and uh, you know, some paying via credit card, some paying via invoice, you know, all kinds of different things. So yeah. um The final tip I have, let me see if I've overlooked anything. I think that's kind of, well, two, two final tips. Um, again, one is more kind of a um, mental health tip, but is um, I find it quite enjoyable to, I set little goals for myself in the business, but then also with very tangible rewards of kind of, you know, things I do. And the roads don't have to be like, you know, massive, you know, it's not like I'm a vacation to Hawaii or something, but like, You know, it might just be like you go to a nice restaurant or something, but you should you should really reward yourself as you achieve things. Otherwise, it's very easy to gloss over the achievements. It's very mm. easy to just be like whenever you hit a mile, you know, like maybe your milestone is like, oh, we got to get to a thousand dollars MR. And then you get there and immediately you're like, oh, my God, you know, now we can get to two thousand, you know, right. And you really got to make sure you take the time <laughs> to celebrate because otherwise yeah. you get it, it, it. It's gone like that. So, do you make um, plans ahead of time, like how you're going to celebrate a specific goal? Yes, I do. I mean, like certain things that I'm going to like buy myself, or um, you know, which restaurant I'll go to, or whatever. Um, mm. And it can be frustrating too. Like I have this one thing that I want to buy when we hit a certain goal, and like now because of the virus, it's kind of you know. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a rocky road and i'm like oh shit i should just buy it and i'm like no no i'm gonna wait until I... <laughs> um so it does make every every customer cancellation hurt a little bit more because mm, then it's I not see. about the money but it's like oh we're farther from the goal but yeah but it's gonna make it even sweeter when i'm when we hit the goal so definitely um and then but anyway my final recommendation um uh is that you should Even, you know, most bootstrap businesses, you don't have investors or anything like that. But um, I highly recommend you take time every month or on, a, or on some kind of predictable schedule. So maybe it's, it's quarterly or whatever, where you write your, an email to some advisors um, mm -hmm. where you like a one page email where you kind of outline your key metrics and, you know, what you accomplish and what you're going to accomplish, what you're going to try to accomplish in the coming period. Um, and I find this so useful as a way to organize your thoughts. And also particularly it, like in my case, um, it's not just my business, I have a co-founder and the act of writing this forces us to get into agreement. You know, every yeah. month we have to say, okay, what are the top three things we're working on? Um, and very often, so we, we do send it to like, I don't know, 10 or so advisors and sometimes they'll have useful feedback or whatever. And sometimes they don't. Um, and the, but the reality is most of them, they don't know the ins and outs of our business, but it's the act of writing the update that creates the value. And it forces mm. my co-founder and I to get on, literally to get on one page 
with our ideas and make sure yeah. that, you know, it, you know, the worst case is like, I'm focused on doing A and he's focused on doing B and, and we don't realize that we're working in different directions, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is actually very easy to do. It's very easy to do because everyone <laughs> kind of focuses on their specialty or, you know, um, and, and it's done with the best of intentions. Like you think, oh, I, if I just, you know, make this a little bit faster or better or add this feature or whatever, the business yeah. will, but, but to, for your business to succeed, particularly as a small bootstrap business, there's so many things you could be working on. It's really critical that as a small team, you're, you're pulling in the same direction and on an agreed yeah. goal. So I, I guess you guys have this a bit. It's one of the, probably one of the benefits of being in tiny seat, huh? Is that they force that kind of structure on you? <laughs> yeah, we we just sent like a couple of days ago. Send out our first like investor update for the month. Um, but we also included a couple of people outside of outside of Tiny Seed, and yeah, will be a new habit that we're. And was it was it hard to was it hard to write the update or no? Um, to be honest, I myself didn't write it. Uh, Jane did most of the writing, um, but it was a good way to just also just to recap what happened in the last month and the, um, what problems we hit or what milestones we hit. And um, um, just reflecting on that was insightful as well. Well, and now the longer you do it, and, you know, in two years or whatever, you can go back and look at it and you're like, oh my God, you remember when we were worried about these yeah. silly little problems, you know? And, yeah. Um, <laughs> It's, it's really funny good. to go back and look at them, actually. Yeah, I can imagine that will be good, uh, a good uh, documentation of the company's history and the small problems you used to worry about a year ago. <laughs> um, anyway, these are these are some of the tips that um, a few of the kind of pragmatic little tips that uh, I found helpful in our business. So um, I would love it if people suggest their own. I'm always keen to learn new new ideas and and get some new new ways of working. Um, so yeah, if anyone has any ideas of things, no matter how small, no matter how mundane, that would Im- improve the business, help you run it in a lower stress way, we'd love to hear. Yeah, what's a good way to, to reach out to you? Uh, well, the best way is probably on Twitter. Um, Fryfogel is my handle. Um, or you can check out, you know, ping me via our business, which is opencagedata.com. Um, yeah, so hopefully you put those in the show notes. Uh, for sure, yeah. So. <laughs> cool. Well, that I, that was a really amazing episode. Um, I, I feel like I kept nodding along. Uh, I think <laughs> there wasn't one tip in there that that was like, nah, yeah, that's whatever. So uh, thanks for compiling this list and sharing it with us. Um, maybe like in a couple of months we can we can have you on for a second one. Yeah, uh, maybe I'll, I'll new, have to keep with, with all the new stuff. <laughs> I'll have to keep my list, and uh, but better would be hopefully next year, maybe at femtoconf I can present it, and then I'll have it. I have all fifty as a real presentation with some screenshots and stuff. So yeah, uh, that's I, I, that's still on. Like uh, planning to make it happen next year. Um, so yeah. Thanks for thanks for taking the time. Uh, thanks for sharing all these tips with us. And um, yeah, it was nice talking to you. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye.